0: Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. A true fighting hero joins us today. She's Ireland's first female fighter and was Ireland's first female world champion. She added to the legacy of Barry McGuigan between the ropes, and now Katie Taylor adds to hers. We call this show the Rocky Road, but that's not the half of it when it comes to the journey Deirdre Gogarty went on to make her name in the fight business. Now she's ready to come home for a night with Deirdre Gogarty in her hometown of Drogheda. And to sit ringside for Taylor versus Chantelle Cameron at the Three Arena in Dublin the following night, Deirdre, welcome to the show. How are you keeping?
1: Yeah, I'm keeping great. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Yeah, no problem, no problem. It's, uh, it's a, it's an incredible time for Irish boxing, for women's boxing, and um, you know, you sit right in the middle of that fan diagram.
1: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I think um, when I won the world title, you know, of course, Draweda was very supportive and um i had a nice homecoming of course it would be nothing like the homecoming the female fighters have today but um i'm thrilled about that because i would hate to think of any other female fighter having to go through all the same stuff i went through it would be ridiculous so um so it's kind of a different perspective now i think people understand the kind of the scope and the domino effect of my career now and um I'm just really, really pleased how well I'm not surprised women's boxing's at the level it is now. I'm really pleased it is.
0: What do you think about the campaign to build a statue for you in Drahada?
1: I'm just thrilled about it, you know. Um, It's funny. I was... um, talking with a friend, it was probably around 2020. And I was very down that year because I'd lost my coach, uh, Bo Williford. And he was kind of my advocate and always kind of pushing my story. And, um, you know, really was kind of my voice in boxing. And, And he passed away in 2019. So I was really very low. And I was speaking with a friend, it was before a Katie Taylor fight, And he said, well, I'm sure they have a loss on you in in Ireland. You know, you were a world champion. There was their first world champion. Well, I said, well, there's something at the Epic Museum. But other than that, no, not really. So um, I was a bit down about that. Well, lo and behold, uh, turns out that this guy, Kieran McIver, came along and and, um, kind of he's kind of become my new Bo Williford in a way because he's it's so hard to get the statue and i think i mean it's not much bigger in life than getting a statue done obviously so it's it's pretty incredible
0: yeah absolutely it's um it's something boxing enthusiasts and sports fans visit in every city you know you go all over the world you visit different statues of people who've accomplished great things in sports so you know i'm sure katie taylor is going to have a statue of hers one day maybe in bray or dublin and I And and the, the thing is with uh, with Drogheda, there is a statue already of a boxer in the town, isn't there, a male boxer who won an Olympic bronze medal?
1: Right. And I remember when he was coming back to Drogheda and they were talking about the statue and all, and he would come over to the uh, Drogheda Amateur Boxing Club and I got to talk to him and I was really in awe of him. And uh, so to think, you know, I'll be standing up there next to, to someone like Sox Burns is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like you've got a busy trip home. You're going to be at the uh, the Taylor fight against Cameron the following night in Dublin. Um, are you a big fan to this day of, of Taylor? It's obviously a difficult fight for her to have taken. Uh, what do you make of her chances stepping yep. up in weight against Chantel Cameron to become undisputed at a second weight?
1: Oh, I think she can do it definitely. I mean, she's just got so, she's so well rounded as a fighter, you know, and she really adjusts very well in a fight. And, um, and she's got the the mental strength you know it's so much as you know involved in boxing it's so much more than physical and um takes a really strong person to take on first of all take on a challenge like that but especially such a high stake fight i mean she could have fought anybody in ireland and people would be delighted to see her but she sets such a high standard that she's took, taken on a very difficult fight. And of course, you know, fighting someone heavier, that can take its toll later in the rounds. So, um, but I've no doubt she'll pull it off.
0: Have you been uh, in person to any of her fights as a professional or an amateur?
1: No, I haven't been in person yet. So, um the better fight than any to be yeah. there.
0: You're putting pressure on her, Deirdre, by showing up her hero, showing up at ringside, you're putting pressure on her. <laughs>
1: I'm pretty sure she can handle
0: it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that's a thing, isn't it? She's got this resilience and this big game ability. and um, she's not going to be overawed, I don't think, by any situation. Having having performed at the Olympic Games with all the pressure of the country on her, and then Madison Square Garden last year, um, she should be able to uh bring her best. Whether that's enough to to be Cameron or not, I'm not sure. But we, we'll see on the day. But I don't think she's gonna be overawed by the uh, occasion, that's for sure.
1: Yeah agree
0: let's go back to the start for you deirdre there was there was no you know when you decided to become a a boxer what was it or not even when you decided to become a boxer what was it about the sport that attracted your interest
1: well um that's a great question i mean it was almost like just i know it was just something i was born with i mean everything about boxing just totally captivated me i mean i just thought it was the perfect sport you know it was just um uh, of course, the first boxer I saw was a clip of Jack Dempsey, and I was totally captivated by him, and especially by the fact he'd fight people so much bigger than him all the time. So I learned about boxing, reading about Jack Dempsey. And then, of course, when I saw Barry McGuigan win, win the world title, that was it. I mean, I wanted to be a world champion like him, and that's what set the whole thing in, in motion.
0: Yeah, but but girls didn't box, I guess um so you, no. you were you're coming up with this true
1: no big problem yeah big yeah. problem is girls <laughs> girl yeah how,
0: how did you square it in your own mind like how did you like you, you had to break the mold with your vision i guess and how did you square it in were you were you aware that some women were boxing it at the very least
1: Um, Well, in the beginning, of course, there was no internet back then and nothing, you know, you couldn't really research anything. I didn't really know of any women boxing, but I just figured if you go in uh, and you train hard enough and you get good enough, surely uh, there's another female out there that they could match me with. There must be, you know, I just thought all I had to do was just show them I was good enough to box and it would just happen. Well, I didn't realize what a hard, long journey it was going to be.
0: You first racked up to a Boxing Club.
1: Right. Um, yeah, it took me a long time to get the courage. In fact, uh, I can see it was just fate now, but um, my father's practice was on Wellington Key. He just moved there right across the parking lot from the Drawhead Amateur Boxing Club. So I would go to his... Um, dental practice and I'd sit in the waiting room window and just study that boxing club. I mean, just for hours dreaming of would I ever be able to actually be in the boxing club? So one day after I'd watched Marvin Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard, I'd had enough courage by then to actually approach the coach. He was standing at the door and my heart was beating out of my chest, approaching him. So I don't think he knew what to make of me. Um, But I did Managed to talk my way into getting into the training session for the next day or whatever the next couple of days. So, and then I just kept showing up.
0: Had you been um, practicing in your own method beforehand, like before you showed up to the club? Had you been doing your own workouts in in boxing?
1: Oh yeah, I'd had a um, a sailor's kit and I stuffed it with newspapers and I hung it in a closet. I didn't want anybody to know I was punching it and I'd go in my closet and I'd wrap uh, torn sheets around my fists because I learned that uh, my knuckles would bleed really easy on that bag, that canvas. So I wrapped my knuckles in bed sheets and I'd just pummel, pummel away. I had no clue what I was doing. I was just trying to learn from reading from books.
0: So you, you really had that, that fighter within. It was coming out of you basically and there was nothing you could do to suppress the fighter so that, that that was your only choice to go and follow that dream you also um, your dad being a notable dentist in draw dentists generally make gum shields for boxers but that wasn't an option for you
1: no well i was afraid to tell him uh, either of my parents what i was really doing and i didn't want them to know i was actually by then i was you know i talked my way into being able to spar with the guys and um you know, the gloves were in the the, tr- the glove didn't have a lot of money, so the gloves were kind of in bad shape, some of them had real hard spots where the knuckles were coming through. And I knew I really needed a gum shield, but I was afraid to ask my parents for one because that would totally blow my cover. So I boxed for a good while without one. And then one day I was sparring someone and his knuckle went right through the glove and hit me right there, and it actually cracked the bone. And um it didn't it hurt terribly at the time but years later um i ended up having to have surgery to repair that crack and turned into a cyst so uh yeah so you that's know, just crazy. above um, the gum
0: below the chin is where you pointed at. there is is
1: yeah so, so
0: you're, you're probably uh, pleased to rip- get a badge of honor from your new sport though this you know a war room <laughs>
1: I was naive enough at the time to be proud of the pain, but um, I paid the price years later after the Christy Martin fight when I had to pay for surgery. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, what was life like at home? Because I believe at the time, like you were one of the inspirations to get out and to practice boxing, and to and one of the driving forces in your life was it. Like there was there were difficulties at home. Is that fair to say, Deirdre?
1: Yes, it is. I mean, I had two difficulties going on. Um, Number one, I was not doing well in school, never have. I had dyslexia, but I didn't know it. So that was a big difficulty because I was going into my leaving search, right? When I got into the boxing club and then my parents split up and it was very um, traumatic and very upsetting. And there was lots going on. My mother was suicidal and it was you know just really bad stuff going on so I um, was dealing with a lot mentally but when I go in the boxing club it was just so exciting and new and fresh and um, it just gave me a total escape from all those problems.
0: Did you have uh, such thoughts yourself like your mother?
1: Yeah I did yeah especially uh, when I just got really lonely I was living alone out in Mornington in a big house and I just got really lonely and really down and felt very hopeless. You know, I had done well in the leaving search. I knew that. Uh, and it was kind of the idea then if you didn't do well, you just, you know, you thought I'd end up being a bag lady on the streets or something, you know? Um, so anyway, I was very depressed. And of course I was told, you know, women can't box, girls can't box. So you've got no future there. So I just felt very hopeless, but, um, I'll never forget what really just kept me hanging on was uh, one day I was sparring and I was kind of not doing very well. Um, You know, I was very naive and very had no defense, got hit very easily. So um, I was doing quite badly in the sparring, but I kept fighting on and I kept coming back. And the the boys watching me started cheering my name and I'd never heard my name cheered before. And um I always just kind of went back to that and it always gave me hope and I wanted to know that feeling of being in a ring and people cheering for me again. So it kind of kept me hanging on.
0: That's amazing. That's a that that feeling healed you almost.
1: Yeah, it's you know, it's just um it's very uplifting, really uplifting. So um I thank them for doing that because it really yeah. kind of was a real turning point in my life. I may not be here if they hadn't cheered me on like that well
0: they had no they have no idea these just these kids that cheered your name have no no idea the difference they made in your life but
1: yeah exactly that's... so you never know really touch somebody's life you know you just don't know just doing something positive or encouraging can make all the difference
0: you know, it was a thrill you would go on to chase for the re- for the next uh couple of decades anyway while you're competing in sport yeah um, and and it wasn't the f- it wasn't to be f- the last time anyone shared your name. That's for sure. You, you met Barry McGuigan, obviously, uh, as you were co- coming up in the world or as you were starting out in the fight game, you met McGuigan. You had your own idols.
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah, I really idolized Barry McGuigan. And, you know, it's difficult for him because I know, you know, in uh, an interview we had on a Pat Kenny show. And Pat Kenny asked him, you know, what do you think of women's boxing? And I could tell he was really uncomfortable with it at the time. You know, he kind of felt um, that women weren't really designed for boxing, you know, for getting hit and all that. And um, so, you know, it would kind of put him on the spot a little bit, a bit uncomfortable to inspire a female to box. But I think I'm sure now that he's seen how far it's come and how good women are, uh, she's probably comfortable now with it.
0: Well, certainly all the old, all the old the people who used to object are no, are no longer are, are singing the same tune. That's for sure. But Deirdre, you next, in order to make the next step in your career, you uh, moved to Dublin uh, work-wise and boxing-wise. I'm fascinated by, by what you did mm-hmm. for work in Dublin, though, because you were an artist or a graphic designer and um, you you went to work for a, a new a new comic strip starting up called the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
1: Yes. Yes. That was my first big job. And um, yeah, I was working in Dublin and still living in Mornington. So I was trekking up and down every day and then going to the boxing club. I'd get off the train and cycle over there, then cycle home. And uh, I really didn't want to move from Trohada. I was really worried another boxing club wouldn't take me in. So um, I went up to Dublin really for work because of work. And I ended up at the St. Saviour's Boxing Club.
0: Yeah. Showed up on the show. They, they, like, I've obviously spoken to John um John McCormack on this podcast about when you first came along. uh Sadly, we can't speak with Pat McCormack because he's no longer with us. But, um, spoke to his nephew last week, even uh, uh, Lee, about when you, you know, when you first showed up, Lee Farley was a member of the club as well. And they were just telling us stories about how they used to go across to the pub. And uh, I think, was it the, the Man of Ackle or something across the road? And, um, so, so you could change. You could, you could change in the club. Were you welcomed in St. Saviours? Cause that's, that's hard Shaw. Like that's North inner city, tough crowd, but boxing mad. And were you welcomed pretty quickly? What was your first impression? Um, of place? So
1: Yeah, it was very intimidating. And, um, uh, Pat's theory was I was sent there because they were certain that I'd be, uh, you know, told no, that they were, you know, they're kind of hardened ex pros and, um, So it was really uh, intimidating going in there. But, you know, once Pat, Pat just got it in his mind that if my daughter wanted to box, someone needs to teach her how to defend herself. And that's all he was worried about was making sure I could defend myself. He could see I was going to do it anyway. So it's once I broke the ice with Pat, it's kind of everybody respected Pat so much that they just kind of accepted it, you know? Yeah. So, um.
0: It was sink or swim at saviors, obviously. And once you once you could swim, you were you were fine, and you were going to be well looked after. And and like that all led to you having your first fight in nineteen ninety one versus Anne Marie Griffin.
1: Right. Yeah. That was a uh, you know amazing. Uh, you know, I really thought when I when me and Anne Marie fought, I really thought people would say, "Wow, women can really fight. Let's start doing this legitimately." But of course, never happened. Yeah.
0: What do you remember from the fight? We had Anne Marie on the show a few months back as well, at the launch of your uh of a fundraiser to to build a statue for your very good self. But what do you recall from the fight? <laughs> Anne Marie was telling us she she fought barefoot. She was coming across from um kickboxing and you know, she fought barefoot. It was down in Limerick down, on her patch. You went in with your team, but I think she said she could see the levels. You were you were that you were that good. You could she could see that you were gonna go far.
1: Well, I um I remember being really excited and it's the only fight I wasn't terribly nervous for just because, um, you know, I hadn't experienced the dressing room nerves before. Um, and just going in there, it was supposed to be an exhibition. Um, but you know, I went in there, I felt I didn't box as well as, you know, you feel in your first fight, you kind of forget everything, you know, But Pat was really pleased with my performance and, um, uh, I really wanted to try to, you know, I totally forgot about the exhibition part of it. And I was really trying to stop her, especially once the nose started to bleed. I just had a real killer instinct. Once I got in the ring, I could flip it on like a light switch. Um, but it was really great. And and when they announced the decision that I'd won, I mean, it was just amazing. You know, to, I went through four years of training before I got that match. So that's a long time before you get a chance to show what you can do.
0: Yeah. And we, at this stage, were you still working in animation and boxing, or was it, were you starting to focus mainly on, on fighting?
1: Well, I always worked um, either in animation or graphic design. I was still working on the turtles then at the time. Um, but I always worked. I always kept, a, you know, that was really important. I knew that I had to have some way to make a living and pay the bills. Yeah. And art, graphic design, animation, and all that was what what did that because it sure wasn't boxing.
0: Did people out did people at work and in your regular life know that you were a fighter on the side that you were training in boxing? Like, were you showing up with the occasional black eye, bus lip? was it taboo as a woman to be a boxer at the time? Like it was the kickboxing was kind of regular, wasn't it? But female female boxer was a bit a bit odd. Like you say, there was discussions on the pack any show in years later. But what was it? What was it like for you? Just Going about your daily life.
1: Um, well, most of the time, I really didn't tell people about it. Um, you know, I'd only talk about it if they happened to find out. And most of my peers were 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 good with it. You know, they thought it was pretty cool. But you know, they also at the same time were like, you know, you're so young. You know, you're spending all your time in a gym and you're not really going anywhere. Why don't you come out and enjoy yourself? You know, um, I think they just thought i was kind of wasting my time and um it, you know it, it and it, like i said it was hard to explain to people the drive and why i love to box and why i would put myself through so much
0: but you were at the start of a journey that was about to be seen all over the world. I'm not just talking about the turtles. I'm talking about your own boxing career. But you didn't stay. You didn't stay with the turtles. Did you know at the time that that was going to become such a worldwide franchise? Or you were at, you were there at the start? Can you tell us what what your job was in in animation for the turtles?
1: Well, I started out as a cell painter. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, I didn't know, you know, I I wasn't a follower of comic books or any of that. So I really didn't know what the Turtles were. And when I saw it, I thought, how on earth is this going to take off? But um, uh, then I moved on to being an in-betweener, which is, you know, or or uh, correcting the scenes. So I moved up in the company and, um, you know, I, I, I realized the turtles were getting very popular, but I had no idea they would get so big. It's just amazing.
0: Yeah, bringing me back to my own childhood now at this stage. Did you did you, did you end up watching it? Do you know the song? Could you sing the song? I'm not going to ask you to sing it now.
1: <laughs> well, you don't want to hear me sing, I promise you.
0: <laughs> you never know, dear, do you? You never know. Um, <laughs> at what stage, though, was it decided that a future as a boxer in Ireland as a female boxer in Ireland just wasn't really possible and it was going to have to be the USA. I know you were looking for opportunities abroad at the time you're sending letters sending notes to managers and promoters looking for a chance and what what was out there was kind of mud boxing or topless boxing like real kind of uh, exploitative stuff. You know there there wasn't really a career pathway out there for female boxers. So but what was it in you that that said I need to go to the USA or or what was your what was driving you at the time?
1: Well, I knew that women had been licensed in the USA since at least the 70s. So I, you know, I wanted to be legitimate. I didn't want to keep kind of about doing this underground mm. um, you know, backdoor kind of stuff. But I wanted to be legitimate so that we could and I wanted to fight on on men's cards, you know, I wanted to be part of of major cards. Um, so you know, um, you know, it was it was just such a a hard journey trying to kind of get established. But I found that once promoters put took the risk and put females on their cards, they really saw that the crowd loved it. You know, there were always such good fights and that the crowd really responded well and it was worth putting, continuing to put female boxers on cards. So in the nineties. Um, there was a really strong pool of female boxers. I mean, you either fought someone who was totally green and shouldn't be in the ring with you, or they were super good. It was like there was nobody in between. Yeah. So um, yeah, anyway, not, I'm not rambling. Of,
0: not, not at all. Not massive mass qu- depth, but an awful lot of talent. I was going to say your your victory over Amory Griffin didn't just give you your first time, your first occasion to have your hand raised as a boxer. It also gave you something to commit to tape which you could then send out. And that's how Bo Williford came into your life.
1: Right. And Bo was the um, first kind of legitimate boxing promoter that I, I got a contact. It was through my um, coach, Pat McCormick. He had a friend in London called Patty Sower that said, oh, if, you know, Bo Williford knows everything there is to know about boxing in America. You need to write to him. And uh, when Bo finally responded, which he only did out of a favor to Patty. He said, I don't know shit about women's boxing and I don't want to learn.
0: Oh, he needed to be convinced.
1: <laughs> yeah, so um, I, so now I had to convince him that you know, women's boxing was here to stay and we had the skills and the determination. And um, I did all that because we ended up traveling all over the United States together, getting world title matches. And of course, you know, the, the big fight with Christy Martin.
0: How, how did you change his mind?
1: I uh, just, the pure determination. I mean, I had to go through hell in his gym. I mean, he threw me in with uh, uh, Kenny Vice, world champion, you know, who became world champion. And, um, I mean, I did take some beatings, but I kept coming back. And um, he thought I'd be on the next plane home to Ireland once I, realized how difficult it was going to be the heat in louisiana was very difficult it was just real kind of climate shock but um i was determined to keep showing them what i could do
0: what's what's louisiana heat like is it like that um humid makes you sweat
1: yeah yeah just really a very heavy humid air
0: so major culture shock from from you know, beach, beachside, Ireland's east coast—that's for sure. Um, and he—he he tried to kill you. Uh, he tried to get get a bit of um, tough love against you. Effectively, I heard—I heard a story that one of your initial sparring partners, you know, really put it on you, and then you kept coming back. And by the by the second or third day, you started to get on top, and that started to show. Bo Williford effectively that this girl's really here. To, this girl's really here to stay. She's serious, and uh, she's a good fighter as well in her own right
1: yeah yeah absolutely and um i think that really impressed him and once once he realized just how committed i was then he was a hundred percent behind me and he you know became such a great advocate for my career
0: your first first year in the states you had five fights in 93 it actually culminated in the world title fight you fought a uh, stacy prestage three times in your first year uh debut. Right. Uh, again, and for like for a world title by the end of the year, it, it all came quick and fast for you. Was it everything you hoped for, glitz and glamour, or was it more spit and sawdust? What was what was that first year like? Because I read, <laughs> I read that you felt quite lonely as well. Like you know, emotions you'd experienced previously as well. It wasn't all, it wasn't everything you'd hoped for as well. It was difficult.
1: Yeah, well, especially the first year in the United States. You know, I was very, very homesick, very, very lonely. Um, got to remember back then you didn't ha- you couldn't you know text and you couldn't call so easily it was kind of a big deal to make calls and um you know uh, there was no email and all that all these ways you can communicate with a lot of people very easily so um yes it was very lonely and very difficult and there was time lots of times where i trained for fights that would fall through and that was very frustrating i mean i wanted to fight as much as often um as much as I could, as often as I could. And, um, a lot of fights fell through. So, um, it's, you know, it's difficult getting up for the training when fights keep falling through and you're not sure they're going to happen. And then the pay of course was virtually nothing. So, and then I had to make sure I worked full time and and kept the bills coming, you know, the money coming for the bills. So yeah, it was a lot to,
0: Your life in the states because i'm aware that you were making like the money you were making was as a boxer was was terrible money like effectively you know um it wouldn't go towards the bills even that much it was only a couple of hundred bucks here and there so you're working full-time and are you having to pay your own all your own bills your own rent and everything else as well like so you're you're working hard full-time it must be difficult to rise yourself to to train as well as a full-time boxer so that's gonna deplete you quite quickly
1: yeah, it's it's difficult because you, you can't really take care of yourself as well. You know, you can't rest as properly as you should or, you know, you can't eat as well as you should because you're running all the time between work and training. And um, another thing back then, which was another problem, a lot of time my the little purse I would get in a fight was completely depleted because they'd make females take pelvic exams before every fight back then. And um, I didn't have health insurance, so the pelvic exams would cost anything from three to four hundred and fifty dollars. And sometimes I was only getting paid maybe three or four hundred dollars, so that would wipe out the the purse right there. So, um, well, what
0: was the idea behind so, the pelvic exam? Ah, uh, who knows?
1: Just <laughs> I don't know. I guess people were so worried about female maybe a female getting hurt and suing i, I don't know it, it it was kind of just another obstacle maybe another deterrent to kind of keep females from wanting to do it i don't know it was and of course it it later found out that it really wasn't necessary at all
0: were there other kind of like mini humiliations put in your way as a female boxer Along just just the small creeping things along the way difficult uh difficult jumps you're made to who uh difficult Hoops you're made to jump through and stuff like
1: that. Uh, yeah, there's always those um, small, kind of subtle things. Um, and uh, but I, I just was so focused on on moving forward. I mean, one thing I remember I really disliked was because we, a lot of times we were the only female on the card that they put us in a dressing room together, a small whatever they could find. Which I understand why, but you know you should never be put in a dressing room with your opponent. Um, so I used to hate that. It was very uncomfortable. And it's those kind of subtle things that um, you know, it's difficult to keep focused.
0: Maybe that's how Christy Martin ended up marrying one of her opponents. <laughs> Sorry, that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard the like of it, but um it your second t- your second title shot, we'll get to Christy Martin in a second. Your second title shot comes up in 1995 in an all-female card at the Aladdin, you fight Laura Serrano again right you're left disappointed after this one uh,
1: yeah though well, that was my devastating loss definitely definitely most definitely most painful most difficult to relive absolutely
0: what was she like as a fighter
1: oh she was brilliant brilliant fighter if you look at her record she's fought every name you could think of she's a brilliant fighter um it was a very difficult fight. I started very well. I was always a very fast starter. I always I don't think I ever lost the first round in any fight against anybody, but um it, it you know it was just I will, really, you know, I, I don't want to say the uh the altitude affected me, but definitely I didn't go out there early enough, but how, you know, having said that, she kept bringing the pressure and I Instead of boxing and using my skill, I would would engage with a fighter because I I just like to fight, and I always wanted to beat them at their own game, and I always wanted to take people out. So uh, my mistake was fighting her one-on-one too much. And um, anyway, my coach felt in the seventh round I had nothing left in the tank, and he uh, threw the towel in, and that was really, really devastating.
0: Um. Yeah, no fighter likes to have to tell John in and sometimes it can lead to difficulties between a fighter and their coach. Did it ever was that ever the case with you and your coach?
1: No, no, because I knew he did it out of compassion and he saw that fit to do it and um I was more upset that I let him down than anything else.
0: Did he see it that way?
1: Um I it, he he said it was one of the most difficult things he ever had to do, and um, I could see that in him—that uh, you know, he just felt I'd given everything I had in the fight, and I had nothing left. So it was tough.
0: Yeah, I'd say I'd say I'd say it's especially tough because he probably never saw a situation in the future. He probably never saw an occasion where he'd have to throw in the towel on you, and you probably never saw an occasion where he'd have to throw in the towel on you. So t- for it to come to pass. Yeah. But however, I suppose the whole point behind throwing in the towel is that the fighter lives to fight another day. Two fights later, you're in a a far bigger occasion. The fight that changed everything for women's boxing. The fight that changed the sport, basically. Uh, Christy Martin, Deirdre Gogarty at the MGM Grand on the undercard of Frank Bruno challenging up against Mike Tyson, defending his title against Mike Tyson. Uh, Biggest boxing event of the year. And you're on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What an, what an incredible occasion. And um, there was only a last minute decision to actually put us on the televised part of the fight. And I remember once that decision was announced, the press were really, really uh, interested. And there were several Irish uh, reporters there because of the Frank Bruno fight. So um, I ended up getting quite a lot of coverage, lots of coverage after it. I wish I'd known at the time in the fight just the impact the fight was going to be um i mean i I say that but you know i did the best i could with what i knew at the time but of course you know i'll always look at that fight that i could have done this i could have done that but the most important thing is the big picture and how it changed the perception of women's boxing
0: yeah absolutely and it's like it's still talked about to this day the fight is brought up every time Sometimes there's a great, you know, men or women's fight. It's people mention like hagler Hearns. They can mention De- uh, Deirdre Gogarty versus Christy Martin in the same breath. You, you gave away a lot of weight at the time, uh, and and Martin was one of the best fighters in the world at the time. So, what what was the challenge like for you as a boxer?
1: Oh, it was a big, big challenge. I mean, I knew she was very um, strong, big, big puncher. She was very experienced, much more experienced. But, you know, I went back to kind of reading. I learned about boxing, reading about Jack Dempsey and weight wasn't an issue. And if you really want to be a great fighter that, you know, I shouldn't even think about the weight. If I I should be so darn good that I beat her anyway, that was my attitude. You know, the weight didn't matter. So, um, you know, Uh I um, of course, you know, she was much stronger, obviously.
0: Had you uh, learned from the Serrano fight? Had you improved from the Serrano fight? Had you had you lessons to put in place from that from that occasion?
1: Well, what I learned was to try to box more and not get drawn so much into a fight, especially with someone so much stronger. So I really tried to box, move, and good use good footwork. Um, and I'd actually learned a lot by fighting another really big girl, which was uh, Marianne Almagar. and. Coincidentally, we had the same referee, which is Carlos Padilla, and I really felt that was a big advantage because he'd seen me in with another really big opponent, so he he knew he I could handle it. I think he might have been more apt to stop the fight when I was in big trouble in the second round, but the fact that he'd refed one of my fights before, I think was a great thing because he he gave me a chance to kind of come back into the fight.
0: That's a that's a great help actually. I'm sure because and it actually br- brings to mind another another Irish fighter, another lady called Deirdre, who shared the bill with you in 1995 when you fought Serrano. Deirdre Nelson made her debut, right. fought for the world title, and she actually fought Marianne almager on that occasion. Right. And, and the referee pulled her out in the second round. I think his name was Mitch Halburn. And but she didn't yeah. really look a beaten. Was- do- she didn't look at beaten Dockett at the time. She certainly didn't feel it. And to this day, she's still. Pretty devastated by the results, you know. Twenty eight years later, she still really like feels yeah. that one, yeah. So it's good to yeah, have I a referee who knows her. what you're capable of.
1: Yeah, yeah. I saw the fight, and I do feel it was stopped too early, definitely. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure she's still devastated by it. I I would be too.
0: So, but but meeting Martin uh that day at the MGM Grand did it ch- like it change your life? I assume, like maybe not financially. But in terms of recognition, people knowing who you are, making maybe the struggle and the sacrifice all worthwhile, you know, you got your name up in lights and people from then on would cheer your name and would know your name.
1: Yeah, it was definitely um, a big game changer as far as, you know, um, being known, and also the opportunities. I got a lot more fights after that. Um So that was really great. You know, I got got to fight five more times before my next world title shot. And um, I managed to win inside the distance on those. So, you know, I love getting the more more fights and um, the coverage was becoming much more legitimate. You know, the boxing magazines were now doing articles, you know, whereas they didn't really like to talk too much about women's boxing. It was always kind of a little side note and the side column now is becoming main articles and headlines and that felt really good.
0: You and Christy Martin have kept in touch ever since um she she was on the show with us last year following the uh the Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano show in in uh, New York. So Christy joined us and she said how you and her almost had a double axe Once your fight was over you became right. fast friends and uh you like you kind of would look out for her again because she had a quite an abusive husband which we all know ended in him trying to kill her but he almost tried to separate the two of you guys he tried to you know because he knew that you yeah. would you would like step in and protect Christy as well so it sounds like you guys had a brilliant friendship for the years that followed your fight
1: yeah we do and it's a great thing and every year she um tells me happy anniversary on the 16th of march and i love that you know so um yeah, and it was really great to just sit down and talk to her one-on-one. I had no idea, of course, the abuse of marriage she was dealing with. I always found her quite um, distant and difficult to talk to back in the day, but now I realized why. Um, why he kind of built a wall between her and, and others. So it's amazing. You just never know the depth of other people's struggle.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Um and I, I think we we all have we all have like hidden struggles and stuff like that. But I guess we're all talking about them these days, which is a great thing. The following year, March the second, nineteen ninety seven, um, you do get to fight for a world title again. And like when the opportunity came, had you had you believed after a couple of losses in world title fights that you wouldn't get another world title opportunity? Had just like several Irish fighters had lost a couple of world title shots at that stage, and and won them on the third occasion. I'll give you two examples: Steve Collins and Dave Boy McCauley both lost their first two world title shots and won them on the third on the third attempt but at the same time I Mm -hmm. can see why anyone who's lost two would start to think this isn't going to come back around for me and uh, not that I'm finished but it's going to be really difficult to get there did you start to feel like that maybe your best days were behind you or did you always think that I'm going to win I'm definitely going to do this
1: well, I just felt, I mean, I couldn't leave boxing without a world title. I mean, what would be the point of all of, all of it? You know, so, and the Christy Martin loss almost felt like another world title loss because that was a major opportunity and I felt I blew it. So, um, I mean, I, I felt I'd get another chance because I was getting a, um, quite a few fights and I was doing well. And, um, I was hoping to get a rematch with Christy actually. So by the time I went into that third world title attempt, I thought, this is it. This is absolutely it. If I don't win this, I'm done. I'm never lacing on a glove again. I mean, that's how I felt. It was absolutely uh, crucial that I win that title. Otherwise, there's just no point. I'll just be one of those people that were good but not good enough.
0: What did you think of your opponent? Was she, a, was she a late replacement or was somebody that she you got a lot of time to prepare for? Bonnie Canino, she, she came in, I think, with an unbeaten 5-0 and record.
1: Oh, no, she was, um, yeah, she was already champion for a while. And I knew a lot, you know, I heard of her all, quite a lot <laughs> over the years. She was a pretty good fighter. She was a great kickboxer as well. Um, very well known, very well respected. And um, she was a very intimidating opponent. I knew she was going to be difficult. I knew she was going to be very strong. And um, her southpaw stance was going to be problematic. Mm -hmm. So she was definitely no easy opponent.
0: It was closer to your natural weight. It was featherweight, this one. You'd you'd previously challenged twice at lightweight. So that that was a good boost for you. And it was closer to home turf as well in New Orleans. So you had a couple of advantages going right. away in that one.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, finally things were kind of getting more like they, you know, more um, even even Stevens. So yeah. when I I just remember when I first, the first few rounds, um, I mean, she was very strong and wiry, but I'd already been in with the likes of Christy Martin and Marianne Almagar. So to me, she didn't feel as strong as I expected because I'd been in with these stronger girls so um but it was a very difficult kind of uh rough fight I, I think she went in with the game plan kind of like Stacy Prestige did to be really rough with me kind of uh, manhandle me so to speak and um it worked for a while so I really had to figure out a way to get back to boxing and get back to outpointing her but I in the end I think overall in the fight I did very well and you know, definitely one fair and square.
0: Yeah, you got the you got the um, unanimous decision: ninety eight, ninety two, ninety seven, ninety three, and ninety six, ninety three. Um, <clears throat> I believe you broke her nose. Um, in the fifth round, I believe. Um, Bonnie once mm-hmm. uh, con- I once put up a post about you on social media. I think it's the anniversary of you winning the fight, uh, the title, maybe twenty five years. And um, Bonnie Canino commented back under it, and she made a few comments. It. I said, do you want to hear what she said about the fight? yeah sure (laughs) first of all she says um says i remember that day clearly it was a black a black eye for boxing one they never paid me for defending and fighting in that fight ripped off my purse for the fight still to this day nine thousand bucks no purse that's a story we've often heard of before in boxing
1: i didn't get paid either so that's true
0: she's crazy isn't it two now this is a cliche in boxing that i don't believe is true but she says you have to take the world title from the world champion i don't think she did so i don't i don't agree with that i like it's not well, true yeah you have to win more rounds than the opponent
1: well i'll be glad to share the video for people to give their own yeah. opinion
0: she says um she does say she, she thinks she won the first five rounds until she got her nose broken during the fight uh the rest of the the rest of the rounds i fought for the first minutes and grabbed the last minute because i couldn't breathe so i had to make it so and then she says, "Oh, the fight was in your hometown. No disrespect to Deirdre; she's a good person, fighter, and champion. So she's not trying to take out in the way. Obviously, every fighter thinks they win a close, mm-hmm. uh, a close run thing. But all that matters is you got your hand raised at the end. Can you describe for me the feeling of finally, after everything you'd been through, having your hand raised as a world champion?
1: Oh, relief! Pure, another relief that everything I'd been through was affirmed. You know that it was not some crazy." um journey that it was all going to make sense and it was all going to end in in what I first saw Barry McGuigan accomplish and finally got there
0: yeah 12 years on from Barry McGuigan winning the world title off this road you won it in New Orleans
1: (laughs) it's long in the boxing ring
0: yeah and 12 years of struggle like it's not 12 years of dreaming it's 12 years of going out there grafting for it on a putting everything on the line for fighting all over the world and, and yeah, really earning it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I'm glad I went through it all. It was worth it now.
0: Yeah. And but were you aware at the time that your journey in boxing in the States, an Irish girl who moved to America to, to follow her dream, were you aware that it was inspiring fighters on this side of back at home of the Atlantic? Because on that um, night in New Orleans, one of the girls that you did inspire defended her world title. And that was a young Jane Couch. She beat Andrea Deschamps, right. uh, defended her world, uh, like welterweight title. She, I think she was only four or five fights, six fights maybe into her career. And she says even to this day that you're the reason that she took up boxing.
1: Yeah, well, that's um, pretty amazing. And I, I'm, you know, but... I'm not surprised. I knew there was other women out there that would be great boxers if they just had the opportunities. And I, I've talked to a lot of women that would say, oh, I wish I could have boxed. If I would have boxed if I could have, if the opportunity was there. So um, and I'm glad that other women haven't had to go through as much. Not to say they haven't been through their own uh, struggles for recognition, but it should get a little bit easier. I mean, by golly, you know.
0: Uh, did did you know jane couch well back in the day
1: oh i didn't know her real well and she's a real charismatic character so she's very larger than life you know so um um i do remember her well at the fight you know us sharing that card and she was so funny and um and then of course i shared another card with her in atlantic city and uh her doctor had a shoulder injury, and her somebody with her did some acupuncture on my shoulder, trying to get it ready for the fight the day before or something. So you know her team were real helpful and supportive and mm-hmm. um it's it's really neat I, to know that we inspired I think when I fought Stacy Prestige and they did a documentary, and she saw that documentary it inspired her, so that's really cool that you could inspire another world champion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember at any stage getting that letter from a young Katie Taylor? Do you know what year was it that she first wrote well, to you? Do you know?
1: It would have been um, probably uh, 97. I think it was quite soon after the the um, Christy Martin fight. And it was before my world title fight because I was supposed to fight for the world title in January. I think she says that in her letter. Sorry about the fight falling through. So it must have been late ninety-six.
0: Okay. And was it a, an ordinary occurrence for you to receive letters from young female fight fans or aspiring female fighters or was this an everyday occurrence effectively or was was, was this something that you noticed at the time and remembered?
1: Uh, well, I did get quite a bit of um, uh, fan mail, so to speak, but um, I remember hers distinctly because she came and talked to me at my townhouse one day and... Uh, she was having the same problem with getting matches and trying to kind of get legitimized boxing. And, um, so she was kind of in the same boat and all I remember is just telling her, you know, keep working at it and keep working at your skills. And, you know, finally they're going to have to let you box. If you just keep showing them, there's going to be another girl out there who's going to make a good opponent and just keep working at it and they'll have to give you a chance. So, um, so I'm really glad she stuck with it because she could have done any other sport, and we wouldn't be where we are today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and other female fighters followed in your footsteps back home as well. Like we saw Deirdre Nelson share the card with you back in, um, in in Las Vegas. But were were you aware of her going to court um, with the with the Boxing Union of Ireland back home? And did you follow the progress of Christina yeah. McMahon who came up? Yeah, so you were interested.
1: Yeah. Great, right, Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes uh, nobody wants to have to go through the courts and all that business. You know, we just want to get in the ring and fight. So the fact she went through all that is brilliant and it had to be done. Somebody had to do it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, fair play to her.
0: It, it obviously wasn't possible for you to have done so back in the 90s. But would, it, would being a professional fighter back in Ireland, was that like a regret that it was something that you couldn't have done or did you just... Take it, uh, take it on its merits, and enjoy your time in the states. Because even back in in the nineties, you had the likes of Wayne McCullough and Steve Collins who'd who'd started out their professional boxing careers in the United States, but they had huge events back in Ireland, from Belfast to Dublin to Cork. Were you, were you watching this sort of stuff with, you know, a bit of the Green-eyed Monster, a little bit thinking, I wish I was part of this this event.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, my dream was to finish my career with fighting in Ireland. You know, I felt like. I felt like that would be um the final accomplishment, you know, the icing on the cake was to just fight back at home even just one time and show Irish people what I could do because back then you didn't have um the uh access to the fights. I think even when the Christy Martin fight was going on, I think that wasn't even showing in Ireland. I think another fight in Germany was showing and then they went to the Tyson Bruno fight. So I just wanted Irish people to see me and see what I could do. And um, it just it just never came together. We tried um, getting fights in Ireland, and it just really never really went anywhere. I never got a response from the Irish Boxing Union about a license, and I, we just kind of let it peter out.
0: Yeah, but you, there, there were some genuine uh, attempts made to make it so.
1: Yeah, there was um my my uh promoter and manager Bo, he made calls around Ireland trying to get something set up, but there wasn't really uh a lot of professional boxing going on, or at least, you know, nobody really showed much interest in putting me on and um I didn't have a license. So and uh when I tried to apply, I just never would get a response and it just seemed to go nowhere.
0: That's a that's a big sh- that's a shame that's a great shame. I'm sure it's a it's a big regret from your career. Which you might have a couple of regrets in your mm-hmm. career, but all all together, it's a, it's in a very very successful career that you've had. But I'm sure that's that's got to be a regret on us. Yep. And all, all careers end with it, regrets, it, in fairness, don't they? I
1: feel like, well, I just feel like I was kind of robbed of a lot of Irish following. You know, I think a lot of Irish people probably don't have any clue who I am or that I existed. So, you know that that's rough.
0: Yeah, well I think um the uh, Kiran and uh the, the rest of his committee's campaign He's build a right. statue for you in, in Drahada is trying to right that wrong. And uh one day I hope one day <laughs> I hope just... it will. And and dear, we've so yeah. many listeners on this podcast that by the time this put this this show is put out, it's gonna be I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um you fought you fought you fought two more times before hanging up the gloves. Was it um, was it a logic? was it a natural decision to, to stop fighting? Was it injury enforced or had you, what was, what was the, the, uh, the driving factor between you deciding to finish up?
1: Well, it was injury enforced. Um, so I was out for a while, but I did try to come back. The injury never really quite healed properly, but I did try to come back to defend the title. And um, I had several fights um, set up and that for whatever reason they would keep falling through i was supposed to fight in germany then i was supposed to fight in argentina and i it kind of ended my career the same as i started you know hoping to get these fights that would keep falling through so it was a very kind of anticlimactic um into my career and um i do remember training for yet another fight i hoped was going to happen but wasn't sure and i Used to love the training for a fight. I'd love the Spartan lifestyle, the dieting, you know, kind of building your body up to this crescendo of fitness. And for that particular fight, I remember thinking, man, I can't wait for the day after the fight when it's all over. And that's when I knew it was time to retire.
0: That's the the clinker. That's uh, I think John Duddy articulated it the best. He, he spoke about entering a training camp like that once and where he used to love just the thought of the heavy bag and the feeling, the Spartan lifestyle. Then he just thought, I can't wait. Yeah, I want to finish up here. I don't have this in me anymore. But yeah, that's, mm-hmm. and that yeah. was it. And that was time to go. You, you stayed married to boxing for quite a while afterwards. You, you coached kids and you stayed involved in the club. And you even got married in the boxing ring with them. Your manager, promoter, yeah. your trainer, Bo Wilford, officiated at the wedding. So that's, a, that's, a, yeah. that's quite a way to stay involved in the sport.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a great memory, really great memory. So, um, I mean, boxing is a family, and that was my family. You know, I didn't have family in the states, so that's um, the wedding was kind of my family. All came together, and we did it in the boxing club. What better place on St. Patrick's Day?
0: On St. Oh, even better. Oh, well, you you won your world title in March <laughs> now, so I'm going to ask you which March occasion was the best day of your life. <laughs>
1: Oh gosh, that's a tough one. I, you can't tell my husband, but probably the world title. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or
0: when, or when your son was born. I hope he was a March <laughs> kid too.
1: <laughs>
0: Unfortunately, you didn't get your homecoming, Katie Taylor. going to get her homecoming now, May the twentieth versus Chantel Cameron. Um, it's going to be quite an occasion, Deirdre, Isn't it? And I, I'd say you're really looking forward to taking your ringside seat and seeing, you know, the the journey culminate. You know, this could be close to the end of Katie Taylor's career. It could be very near to the end. We don't know, but it's a career that was helped. You helped to kickstart by inspiring the next generation. And then Taylor, as we know, has inspired generations to come.
1: Absolutely. And there will be more to come, you know, years after Katie's retired too, there'll be another Georgia Gordy, Katie Taylor coming along. So... Um, it's all a domino effect. I can't wait to sit ringside and be in an occasion like that. I think it's, um, like I said, I'm not surprised. I'm just delighted that it's happening and it's happening in my lifetime. So, um, and it's really not that long ago when that would have been impossible. So Mm. pretty incredible.
0: Before we go, Deirdre, what's daily life like for for you at the minute? Do you have any involvement in boxing at the minute or what are you up to at the minute or these days?
1: Well, we, we moved, um, to North Louisiana and unfortunately there's no boxing clubs near here. So I'm way out in the country. So I took up karate and I still get in and throw my hands a bit to fight. And I enjoy that. You know, I get to still throw my hands. So, um, that's fun, but I mostly spend my time keeping up the nine acres of grass we have here. So, uh, Living the country lifestyle is the closest place to Ireland I've ever lived since I've been to Louisiana, and I finally really feel home because um, I always miss Ireland. Always will. Yeah, oh, that's
0: great. It sounds beautiful.
1: Yeah, it is. Thank you.
0: And you will get you will get your own homecoming on May the nineteenth in Draha at an evening with dear Dragogie. So I'm looking forward to meeting you again at that event and uh, meeting all your fans who come along to see you on the night and put their hands in their pockets to get this statue built as well in your hotel and drawing. It's going to be a great occasion. So, dear Dragogarty, the champ, thanks so much for joining us today on The Rocky Road to tell us your story.
1: Thank you so much. Can't wait to see you all.